So we're in Acts chapter 17. So last week we were reading as uh, Paul uh, was in Philippi and he was ministering to the people in Philippi. He cast the demon out of a girl. The next thing you know, he's in prison. And uh, so uh, things went from okay to bad. And then they got worse. And then he was beaten, put in prison. And he wasn't put in prison because he was doing something wrong. He was put in prison so he could do something right. So he could lead the jailer into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But he had to be persecuted himself uh, before that could happen. He suffered a beating and then he suffered by being in prison. But wouldn't it be so cool if you were in prison for uh, no apparent reason except uh, that you're preaching the gospel and in the middle of the night you're praising the Lord, praying and the doors open, the the chains fall off of you know, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you say, hey, it was kind of worth it, you know, uh, to experience what he experienced. And, and Paul felt that throughout his life. You can see it in all of his writings, you know, that he realized that as he was, you know, growing older, as he was ministering, he recognized his sinfulness. A and he quoted at the beginning, I don't even deserve to be an apostle, you know, that's what I'm doing. But at the very end, he called himself a chief of sinners. Why would he go from there to there uh, when he's obviously growing in faith because of what he's seeing, the work of God, so on and so forth. But he actually increased because he was more sensitive to his sin at the end than at the beginning. He was more, you know, aware of his unworthiness at the end. And, and that's how it should be for all of us. As we grow in our relationship with the Lord, it should remind us that we're not worthy. You know, there are some religions that teach, oh, as you get better, you get more perfect. And, you know, and by the time you're old, oh, man, you've got it all figured out and, and you're perfect and stuff like that. Um, I find that to be untrue. I may act better than I used to. You know, I, I, I hope so, at least. You know, people that knew me before say I do. But it also is a reminder to me of where I came from and what I shouldn't be involved in. So, uh, you know, I, I was growing out of that. Paul and Silas and Timothy now are continuing their journey. They came out of Philippi after um, Paul and Silas were arrested. And now they're looking for a new place to minister. Today's message is titled, Turn the World Right Side Up. We continue in our study with the book of Acts in chapter 17 in verse 1. Where we read now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia 
they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Let me pause there. If there's a synagogue of the Jews, that means that there are 10 Jews, uh, 10 male practicing Jews living in a city. Whenever there are 10 male practicing Jews, they had to have a synagogue. And, and that's what, sometimes the synagogue wasn't much more than a tent where they would get together a meeting place. You know, I've heard the argument, oh, you know what? There are no church buildings in the Bible. You don't have to go to a church building, uh, you know, that's not biblical or anything like that. Well, they've been doing it for thousands of years, you know, uh, that uh, from what we can tell in our writings uh, from the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ, the Jews were getting together in synagogues and they were talking about buildings. They weren't talking about just group. A synagogue is really just a gathering of people together for a common purpose. Okay, and, and so you'll hear the term synagogue used and we always picture, oh, a Jewish, you know, teaching or Jewish church of some sort. But really, it, uh, they had other synagogues that were just gatherings uh, of people. And so here they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews, meaning that there were an established group of Jews there. And then Paul had, as his custom was, went into them for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So, here he is, he goes into the synagogue, into this group. They welcome him because he is a Pharisee. He, he does have the credentials. He probably didn't have a badge around his neck. But just telling them who he was was enough to make them say, oh, well, you know, do you want to bring us a word? And so it says for three weeks, three Sundays or three Saturdays, back then Sabbaths, they got together and he taught them and he reasoned with them in the scriptures. What do you think he was using? Matthew, John, Luke, what? what? No, they hadn't been written yet, right? So um, he was using the Old Testament scriptures. It's important for us to recognize the Old Testament scriptures talk just as much about Jesus as the New Testament scriptures do. They point to who Jesus is, who he was going to be when he came, and who he is as Messiah. And so that's what Paul... Remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus ran across two disciples. And as he's walking with them, he opened up the scriptures to them and reminded them what the scriptures said about him. And so there's enough Old Testament scriptures to make someone realize, oh, Jesus is the Messiah. Just like 
you know, um, the Old Testament says. He spent time quoting these messianic, and I'm sure he was using a lot of the same scriptures that Jesus used on his road. We don't have a recording of that conversation. We don't know what Jesus actually taught on the road to Emmaus. But I'm sure they were many of the same scriptures. First of all, it, there, were, there were four points here that he points out that the Messiah had to suffer. And we read that in Psalm 22, Isaiah 50 and 53, and Zechariah 20, uh, 12, 10. We read about the fact that the Messiah had to suffer. And then the Messiah had to die. Daniel 9 and Isaiah 53 speaks to the fact the Messiah was going to have to die. That was part. See, prophecy isn't just random thoughts of what's going to happen in the future. It is an accurate telling. Like we're reading, you know, the scriptures of what took place in the past. And, and so this is many of the things we're reading are historic scriptures, but there are also prophetic scriptures that have not been fulfilled to this day, meaning they will be fulfilled. Now, God didn't put prophecy in the Bible so that hopefully someone will figure it out and do it. And, and that's what a lot of the commentators that may lean a little to the liberal side believe that, oh, a lot of the scriptures, a lot of the prophecies were fulfilled by people that already had the scriptures, so they were just fulfilled. Now, while Jesus would have a hard time deciding how he was going to be born in Bethlehem, how he was going to be born of a virgin, how they were going to bring him to Egypt, those are all prophetic scriptures, you know, but, you know, Jesus wouldn't have fulfilled prophecy unless they were accurate. Prophecy is God's foreknowledge of what he knows is going to take place, telling it to a prophet so that we can know what's going to take place because he wants us to be prepared. So as these Jews were supposed to be prepared for the Messiah, um, they read the scriptures hoping to understand. But when it didn't fit what they thought was supposed to happen, they ignored the Messiah when he showed up. Although he fulfilled everything that the scriptures said, they ignored it because it wasn't what they wanted to hear. And there are still many people today that don't believe the scriptures. So what do they do because they want to make the scriptures fit their lifestyle rather than changing their lifestyle to fit the scriptures? What do they do? They change the scriptures. They change the meaning of the scriptures. Oh, that's just an allegory. That's a metaphor. It doesn't really mean what it says. It means something else. And that's why when we look at all of the scriptures, we have to recognize 
that we have a God who gave us the scriptures so that we can know the truth and it can set us free. And if we read the scriptures and we don't agree with them, that's on us, not on God. He gave them to, and people said, well, man changed the scriptures to say what mankind wanted to say in the script. Oh, yeah, God didn't know how to handle that. <laughs> you see, God knew what was going to happen. And so he made sure that we would have the same truth that they had when it was actually taking place there. And so Paul is here teaching these guys. He taught also that the Messiah had to rise from the dead. That's Psalm 16.10 and Psalm 49.15. Clearly point out the fact that the Messiah had to rise from the dead. So here he is spelling all of this out. And Jesus fulfilled these prophecies. So that's why Paul goes on to say, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Because he fulfilled all of these prophecies. So who believed? Well, some of the Jews. Some of the Jews. Who should have believed immediately? All of the Jews. Because they were the ones, they were the keepers of the scripture. They should have heard this and their hearts should have been pierced and they should have said, this makes too much sense. This is obviously true. And so when they hear it, they would say, oh, you know, we were fools. We didn't hear this, but some of them did. And who else were there? Well, it says many Greeks. So Greeks, in this case, are non-Jews. Any non-Jew is considered a Greek in this, in this case. Well, in all cases. Um, so many Greeks. Do you know why they did? Because they were learning. They were attending synagogue. They were learning what the, the Jews believed in Judaism. Some of them may have actually been circumcised to become proselytes of the Jewish faith. And so here, they were relieved. Do you know why? Because they probably never got any satisfaction out of worshiping God the way that the Jews did. You see, to the Jews, it was all about doing this, doing that, following this rule, following that rule, giving this, giving that. And it was all a bunch of rules in how you lived your life. And even if you were the best Greek Gentile out there, you would never live up to the fact that Jews were born into it. Oh, you were great. Well, you've got a back seat. You know, you're welcome but you got a backseat. You're not going to be at the level. That, how would you feel? How would you feel coming into a church and, you know, having all the people in the church seem so holy and righteous? And when you come in, it's like, oh, that's nice. You, you believe in Jesus too? Okay. You know, you can join with us. And 
That wouldn't make you feel very good, would it? You know, here's the thing that we all need to remember. Just because I'm standing 12 inches higher than everyone else doesn't mean that I have a better place in heaven. We are all equal in the sight of God. There is no male, no female. There is no Jew, no Greek. There is no race. There is none of that. It's all thrown out. And we are all equal before the throne. You you know what? We're going to get crowns. Billy Graham's going to have like crowns, you know. But what are we going to do with the crowns? We're going to throw them at his feet because we don't deserve crowns. And so when we recognize our position in Christ, it makes all the difference in the world. Now we can have peace with everyone. There is no one better than another. There's no one that's a better Christian than another Christian. We have the same Holy Spirit. You know what makes a better Christian? Someone that actually listens to the Holy Spirit. Better that it appears that they're better because they're listening to the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't make them better that they're more qualified, that they're, they have a higher standing. No, none of that. We are all equal uh, with in Christ. And so here... Some Jews, many Greeks, and many leading women also. Women! See, you know, you would think that uh, that's why. Why do they point out? Because, see, women were always a lower class in that society. Jesus was the first woman's liver. He was the one that set everyone on the same level. And so, now... So when they say leading women, it wasn't that, okay, well, they have a, a backseat. No, they're all together. Everyone is together. We're all on the same level. So the Jews were the least impressed by this teaching because it contradicted their own teachings. They didn't care whether or not it was true. They cared about the fact that this is what I believe, And it doesn't match what I believe. So, you know, obviously it's wrong and we got to get rid of it. So they decide to take action. Verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious and took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So here they are, these Jews, and they didn't get their way. They, it didn't work out the way they expected. So they're going to now gather a mob. Do you know what that is? They're starting a riot using evil people. First of all, Jews weren't allowed to hang out with evil people. Part of their doctrine. It's part of their laws. They weren't allowed to associate with evil people. But hey, the ends justifies the means, doesn't it? There are churches that are out there like that today. Big, big churches 
that are getting people in by luring them in with lies and deceit, with manipulation. Oh, oh, oh there are, there's gold dust falling from the rafters. Oh, there are diamonds underneath the seats and stuff like that. You think I'm joking? It's one of the biggest churches in California. And people flock to it because they think that they're going to get gain some wealth or something like that from the church. And I've actually had someone come to me when we first started the church and say, hey, you know, you should look up this guy and you should get in, involved in this because it's really powerful. I said, do you really believe that there were gold falling from the sea and that there were angel feathers falling from the ceiling and that there are diamonds that just magically appear? And he said, no, but the end justifies the means getting people in to hear the word of God. And then once they're there, you can share the word of God. Craziness, huh? Insanity. It's one of the biggest movements in the country right now. You just don't know that part of it because they don't talk about it from the pulpit. They don't talk about it as they're selling themselves to people. But it's very sad that uh, this is the direction that some people have gone. Someone needs to be held accountable for Christians causing the problems that were going on back there in Thessalonica. So that's how they're going to be held accountable. Verse 6, it says, But when they did not find them, so they went to Jason's house, and they were looking for Paul and Silas, and they did not find them. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. That's an important point. Come here too. That means that they were already aware of the teaching of Paul and Silas from some previous place, like Philippi, where they were there and arrested because they cast out a demon and then were thrown in prison, but then released and then came to Thessalonica. And they were turning the world upside down. They were changing people's minds from what was normal to what was abnormal according to their doctrines, their understanding of what normal is. So those who have turned the world upside down have come. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the degrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Well, I guess Baal was still popular back then. So uh, they, they took money from them. So 
what was going on? They were starting a riot, trying to incite a riot against Paul and Silas. And when they couldn't find Paul and Silas, well, they found Jason and the rest of the guys that were supporting and, and, and providing uh, a place to stay. And they then uh, took them and arrested them and then took bail money from them. But notice some of the things that happened there. They were arguing that Jesus was king, that they were promoting Jesus as king. Folks, Jesus was dead at this time, okay? Jesus wasn't with them. So if they were promoting Jesus as king, where was he? Well, go ahead, bring Jesus in. Let's find out if he is a king or if he is being... See, so this is just so hokey. And, you know, they should... Here is the problem. This is very similar to what happened with Jesus. Jews were rising up this crowd. It, it sounds like Antifa almost. They're rising up a riot to attack the city because they want to get their way. Right? Right? Isn't that what's going on with Antifa in our country? They're causing all this violence and, and you know, and, and to get their way. They don't care about getting their way. They just care about the fact, hey, it's fun. Blowing up cops' cars and, and you know, go, going into government buildings and lighting them on fire. You know, that's what is going on in our country today. It's still happening. You just don't hear about it because you don't see it in the news. So, but it's still happening on a regular basis. That's what they were doing back then. Someone reading the Bible and said, hey, that sounds like fun. Let's go ahead and start busting things up. But the rulers of Thessalonica weren't Jews. They were brought to the rulers. Who were the rulers? The rulers were Romans. This was a Roman republic. And so they were brought to the rulers. They had to present an argument that the rulers would accept. If you present the argument to them, well, they're talking about Jesus and all of this and, and saying that, you know, you don't have to be saved by coming to the synagogue and giving us money and, and following our rules. And they weren't happy about that, and, but they couldn't promote that to the rulers, the rulers would say, so what? It, actually, the Roman rulers had a very much a legal system like ours today. And, and so they would really want witnesses. They would want to find out and go deeper. I mean, that, that's not necessary anymore in our judicial system, but back then it was, and up until recently, it, it is the way our system ran. But that's why the accusation was made. They were saying, Jesus is another king. It was a threat to Caesar. And that's why they can now claim, okay, we have a problem. Rome has a problem here because of Jesus. Paul and Silas were attempting to break the Jews out of the legalistic mold that they were in. And some of the Jews believed. The result of his preaching were twofold. 
there was salvation for the people who believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was in verse 4. And then in verse 5, there was rejection by the ones who were not persuaded, but instead became envious. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel divides people. It makes people have to take a position. Are you for Christ or are you against Christ? Are you a sheep or are you a goat? Jesus said there's going to be a dividing of the sheep and goats. I believe that that's what's going on in our society today. With a lot of the laws that are being passed... A lot of the rules that people are now accepting, a lot of the lifestyles that people are promoting, I believe that this is a dividing line for God. Because Jesus, when he judges, is going to say, why were you doing this? My word says this. You did this. You said it was okay to mutilate children. You said it was okay to do what my word says is not okay. You said abortion was good when I said life is more important. Every life is more important. And so it was a dividing line separating the sheep and the goats. You know, and here's the good news. No matter what we've done in our lives, we can be forgiven. Every single thing we've done against the Lord, we can be forgiven of. We're, we're told there's only one sin that we can not be forgiven of, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? That's not receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior before you leave this earth. There is no purgatory. There are no second chances. There are no places where you can work your way back into God's good graces. This is it. This is where we work our way into God's... No, we don't work our way into anything. We either believe that he is the son of God who came and died for us and took away our sin and... Or we don't. Those are the two options. And so if we believe our life is an example of works because we want to do, it's like paying it forward, you know. Sometimes, you know, you go through Starbucks and someone ahead of you pays for your drink as you go through Starbucks and you're like, ooh, I got a free drink. Wasn't that so nice? I'm going to pay it forward. Okay, I'm going to get the car behind me. Oh, well, they got seven drinks. <laughs> well, hold on. I, I wasn't that blessed. And paying it forward it isn't about doing and matching something. Paying it forward is about putting others before ourselves. That's what paying it forward really is about. It's about showing the love of God by doing something for others, by putting ourselves before, be after them, okay? Others first. Jesus, others, yourself, joy. That's what 
That's the acronym there. So, you know, I got off track. Back, uh, back in here, Bible teaching should be leading people to the truth, not to a man-made solution for our moral decline. You know, I was thinking about that this morning. You remember in the 60s, okay, some of you weren't born, okay, but in the 60s, in school, we learned the Bible. It was in school. We said prayers in school. And then the Bible and prayers were taken out of the school in the 60s. And there is... There are graphs and charts of the direct relationship, the correlation between prayer and the Bible being taken out of schools and the moral decline of our society. It's amazing. The violence that takes place in the school and all of that, there's a direct correlation. These are facts. These are data points that can be tracked that show before the Bible and the prayer was taken out of the school, you know, we had this much violence, you know, and after they were taken out, it spiked. It went crazy. So the answer, of course, is to put the Bible and prayer back in school. No, it isn't. Because if we do that in our society today, then they would also bring Islam, Mormonism, Jehovah Witness. Every other religion then also gets to be in school. And besides that, teachers are not pastors. They are not theologians. So how are they going to present the gospel? If the Bible were back in school, you'd have so many variations of what's being taught that it would be horrendous. See, in the 60s, when the Bible was taken out of school and prayer was taken out of school, the failure was on the parents. That's where the Bible needed to be taught and prayer needed to be continued, even more so because now the kids weren't getting it in school, and so it needed to be happening at home first. And that's the only way that you get children to make prayer and the Bible part of their lives is by starting them at an early age in reading it and studying Oh, they may go on their own once they get to be 18. They know it all. I knew it all. You know, I I, I went through Catholic school until I was in my fourth grade. Got kicked out for punching Mother Superior. But I'm telling you that um, I actually wasn't kicked out. They were just saying, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And my father said, you know what? You know, I'm taking my kid out. Because he's not getting what he needs here. And, and, and then they put me in public school. I was the kid that punched Mother Superior and got away with it. And now I'm in a public school. <laughs> yeah, that went over real well. 
But by the time I was 18, I was doing whatever I wanted to do. I, I was living a, a horrible life. And the Lord woke me up. You see, if the Lord doesn't touch someone's heart, they are just going through the motions if they say, well, I'm going to start going to church and, you know, I'm just going to be a better person. I'm going to live a better life. It has to be the Lord changing the heart of the person. It's the Holy Spirit living inside someone that brings the change about. It's not an, a bunch of actions. It's not me doing better and not using bad language, not smoking, not drinking, not doing this. Not That's not being a Christian. A Christian, it begins in the heart. It changes in the heart first. And so a lot of people are missing that part. Back in our study, the disciples in Thessalonica understood the political situation in the city. They knew what was going on. They knew that they had to get Paul and Silas out of there because they wanted to protect them. So we look in verse 10 where it says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they go from Thessalonica to Berea. Thessalonica was a major city on a trade route. Berea, not so much. It was a smaller city, but had at least 10 Jews, 10 male practicing Jews because they had a synagogue. And so as Paul usually did, he went in to the synagogue and he started teaching them there. And it said that they received the word with all readiness. I want you to understand that doesn't mean they accepted everything Paul and Silas said. They were ready to receive whatever was being taught. See, quite often people come to church not ready to hear from God. They're fulfilling a role, a, 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 a job. I'm coming to church because that's what my husband or my wife wants me to do. I'm coming to church because I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, so I'm just going to come and I'm going to sit there for, you know, as long as he drones on. And then I'm going to feel better about myself for a week, you know, as I go out of there. And, and uh, you know, that's the mentality that some people have. Not the Bereans. The Bereans were ready to hear whatever was delivered as if it were the word of God because it was the word of God being delivered. And so Paul was teaching the same thing that he taught the Thessalonians. Same thing. He's teaching them. And they're hearing it and they didn't take it at face value. They didn't just say, oh man, well you're Paul and you taught us that. We agree. We're going right for it. No, they, they didn't do that. They searched the scriptures daily. They checked for themselves. Hold on. You said this? Let's go look and see what the scriptures say. Oh, you're telling us this? 
well, we want to hear what the scriptures have. And they would check everything. Fact checkers. The original fact checkers. The Bereans. And as they checked, they saw this stuff is true. We have fact checkers in our world today. But see, fact checking is only as good as the perspective that they're coming from. How come fact checkers can contradict each other? It's supposed to be facts. Facts are facts. So, you know, they can't contradict each other. It's either a fact or it isn't, or it's false. But here's the problem. People read something on the internet or something that a friend tells them, oh, you're not going to believe what they're doing in the World Economic Forum. And this is what's going on. And, and oh, I'm, I can't believe that they're doing all this. And the next thing you know, there are posts out there and it's all over the internet. And no one fact checked for the facts. Now, I'm not saying go to a fact check site. I'm not saying, you know, go to Snopes because they're going to have the most accurate information, you know. Uh, you know, only dopes go to Snopes. But I'm, hold on, I made that up. I just made that up. You got this on tape. Anyway, it isn't, you can go to Snopes and you can read it and you read what they say and then go to other. But the reality is, we're not going to know because they're only letting you see what they want you to see. So here's the thing. Don't worry about it. Jesus is coming. So, you know, as much as what's going on in the world right now, um, it just confirms the fact that Jesus is coming. And I am not worried about all of these things that are taking place because eventually it's all going to end. It's all going to be cleared up. The Bereans wanted to know the truth. They didn't believe every teaching that was presented in the synagogue. And so they studied the scriptures. And then we pick up in verse 12 where it says, therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. Hey, men and women and, and, and Greeks. They're all, if they're not Jews, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, you're a Gentile, you're, you know, Greek as far as that's concerned, but prominent women as well as men. And so that was important. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. And so those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. So here they were in Berea and Paul teaches and many of the Jews believed because they read the scriptures, they checked it for themselves and they believed. What happened to the rest of them? The rest of them, even though they were Bereans, didn't believe because they didn't want to. Because they were, 
they may have had a, a high position in the church and they didn't want to give up their position in the church to believe something else that is going to cause conflict. So they want to stay in that. That's what the problem was with the Pharisees and Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the scribes back in Jerusalem when Jesus was put to death. They didn't want to lose their position. Many of the Pharisees believed, but they didn't follow Jesus because they had a position and they didn't want to lose it. But here, most of the Bereans, many of them believed, and the Greeks and the women and the men, they were believers. And that's important for us to recognize that no matter who we preach to, we don't know if they're going to believe. But we still do it. Paul and Silas didn't say, well, these guys, they just don't seem worthy to receive. I didn't seem worthy when I received Jesus Christ. By all standards, I was a very immoral person. I was in trouble all the time, and I caused trouble all the time. So by earthly standards, you know, if I was out on the street, the pastor would cross the street to go the other way to get away from me. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to be associated with me. But a Samaritan came and shared the gospel with me. And I became a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. And today I can stand before you telling you I'm perfect. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you realized that was a joke. Okay. Uh, that's not going to happen until Jesus Christ returns. Okay. And then we'll all be perfect for he who has started a good work in us will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. That's when we will all be made perfect. Good news. So, Paul and Silas are going from city to city. They're turning the world upside down. And that's a call for us today. We should recognize the days that we live in based on the prophetic scriptures that tell us what the world is going to look like when the last days come. And so if you want, if they had video cameras of what the world was going to look like, it would look like today. We would be seeing what we're seeing right now in the news. There are plenty of things being taught today that is also turning the world upside down. Not just religion, but science is turning the world upside down. Science, you, you don't even know the definition of a woman. Science doesn't know. And so, I mean, if science can't figure that out, how do we know what global warming is? Right? Government's pushing global warming, saying, oh, that's happening. Really? So what's a woman? Oh, well, you know, we can't talk about that. That doesn't make any sense. But this is 
why the world is upside down. Schools teach children gender fluidity. And they're making it okay for kids as young as fourth grade to change their gender because they played with the Barbie instead of with the G.I. Joe. And that obviously means that they need to change their gender. You know, and parents that go to the school board meetings that argue about the curriculum that's in the schools, they are called terrorists because they want to stand up for their kids and they don't want this trash to be in our schools. Uh, so that's my political rant for the day. But it's not a political rant. It's a spiritual rant. It's what's going on spiritually in our world today. People are out of their minds thinking that this is okay and that is spiritual oppression. That's demonic oppression taking place. Demons have really convinced some people that this is good for our nation. I haven't seen anything good come out of this at all in our country. It's only dividing us further. The world doesn't want to look to God for solutions. They would rather try to figure out things on their own. The teaching of the church should not turn the world upside down. It should turn the world right side up. And that's what we are there to do. That's our role to go out and share the good news and set everything right side up where it belongs. Amen? 